the home of combat audio, is open for business. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the MMA edition as we shoot to thrill with a double leg takedown sized dose of that one and only performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, in fact, the voice that you hear just about ready to tag in my main man, King Mo, Muhammad Lawal, to chat about the latest news in UFC, Bellator, and the world of mixed martial arts as a whole, and to get your motor running for this Saturday's all-action main event from the UFC Lincoln Card in Nebraska, featuring lightweights Justin Gaethje and James Vick. Violence, brother, coming your way. Get fired up for that one. King Mo and I will also recap the performances of former UFC champions Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar from this weekend's SummerSlam WWE card in Brooklyn. Hey, we'll even step into the world of boxing to get all kinds of lathered up for talk of this heavyweight championship bout between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder that is reportedly all set for November and has BC feeling it. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. Can you smell that? Because cause that's what I'm cooking. I am fired up. So much to chat about across all three combat sports, but obviously MMA is still the main focus of the BC and King Mo show, so don't fret. We'll have plenty on the developing UFC 229 and 230 cards and speculate what's next for both GSP, John Jones, so much more. Heck, we'll even have a conversation with former Bellator and UFC fighter Kendall Grove as Despider makes the transition to bare-knuckle fighting for Saturday's BKFC 2 pay-per-view. Hey, BC's got you covered. If somebody's going to fight, I'm going to be talking about it in some form. All that and then some tall, pale, and handsome. Yes, it's your boy, BC. His chin is deteriorating. That is true. I, I am a man. I am 40. I am getting close to wash. But fellas, ladies, listeners, children, elderlies, hey, Robots, if you're out there and you're listening, remember, you hear something today on the show that you like. If you see something, say something. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star review if you feel we deserve it. Hey, just tell us you're listening. Spread the love on social media using that hashtag in this corner. Follow the at in this corner CBS account on Twitter. And one more thing to sell you, folks. You want the best highlights and the biggest sports stories right in your inbox every morning? Then you need that CBS Sports HQ newsletter. Oh, what's CBS Sports HQ, BC? Great question. It's our new 24-7 live streaming app. Put it on your phone. Put it on your tablet. Stream it on your TV. You'll get BC talking to you about fights. Now you can get all that good stuff in your in-hole in the morning when you wake up. Look, you want to know what's going on in the world of sports. We're all too busy for breakfast, it seems. A lot of us shower and get right into the car, head to work. You want to know what happened the night before. You're going to get all that good stuff before you start your day. Go to cbssports.com forward slash HQ daily to subscribe. Hey, tell them BC sent you. Maybe you'll get a nice partying gift like a beer koozie or something. You never know what can happen in your life if you play your cards right. But, you know, hey, that's about it, guys. It's time to bring in my co-host. It's time to give me a give him a come on, man. Come on, Mo. <laughs> come on, man. Come you gotta, on. You got to come on, man. Yeah, well, you me. did got to come on, man, there from AJ Styles. King Mo is my man. He's my friend. 
He's one bad dude, according to Chael Sonnen. King Mo's a tough son of a bitch. That guy's all right with me. Hey, he's more than all right with me, and you're about to get him. Enjoy. Oh, yeah, the king himself, Muhammad Lawal BC, back with you another week to chat MMA. Heck, we might even have around and chat a little heavyweight boxing, some WWE. And let me start right there because of the WWE connection here with MMA and UFC. It was SummerSlam weekend, King Mo. I was in Brooklyn. Did you get a chance to see or hear what happened to Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar as they masqueraded as basically the headliners of this card? Uh, as, far, as far as the match is concerned, yes, I saw that what happened. But um, leading up to the, the 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 immediate stuff, I didn't see. But with the matches, the results of the matches concerned, I saw that. Now, it was good to see Ronda Rousey personally get that moment of becoming the Raw Women's Champion because, look, she's taken a lot of criticism in the aftermath of the end of her UFC career. A lot of it warranted, by the way, on how she handles herself, very defensive, all of that. But I interviewed her on Friday. Uh, they unveiled a mural for her in, in New York City. And look, I, I've never seen her that happy. So to see her in the ring win that squash match against Alexa Bliss and then run and jump into Travis Brown's arms at ringside, that didn't feel like a, a, a work. That felt like a legitimate moment for her sort of personally maybe slaying some more demons, getting back on top now in WWE and feeling good about it. My only question is why did they dress her up in that crazy gloves and makeup? Do you see that? It was like she almost looked like Mantar or something. I mean, she's a pretty, pretty good-looking woman. Why are they sort of playing her up in this comic book character? Well, I think it's just um, it's a different character. It's Ronda Rousey, but not the UFC Ronda Rousey. The last time we saw the UFC Ronda Rousey, we saw her get knocked out twice or get stopped. We saw her get stopped twice. So I think they, they want to put a little twist on it so when people see her, they see a different version of what we saw last in in the cage. And she came back on Monday Night Raw and put Stephanie McMahon in an armbar. I know most MMA fans don't care about that. But, Kingbo, one thing I had asked her in my interview with her was, you know, how much longer do you want to wrestle here? You know, what you look really happy. What's going on for the future? She mentioned crazy baby fever she's fighting so that she doesn't know how long she's going to do this. This is an MMA podcast. Is she done completely an MMA in your mind? Or do you feel any situation since she's only, what, like 32, where she'll one day wake up three years from now and there'll be another Ronda Rousey rising on the women's rankings and we can make some kind of super fight? You, you see any of that coming? It could happen, but I doubt it. And if it, if it were to happen, it would end badly for Ronda. That's, that's, a, that's a very fair characterization. We saw some UFC crossover when Brock Lesnar in the main event lost his universal title to Roman Reigns. Braun Strowman was there. A lot of WWE-isms going on there. But Daniel Cormier comes at him on Twitter with a little, little trash talking, little fun and games. But he also said, old Brock looking smaller through the middle, meaning his body. He getting ready to come and get that ass whipped. That was Daniel Cormier on Twitter. Did you see anything in Brock's body that shows you we may already be in training camp for this uh, this MMA comeback? Well, he did look a little smaller, you know. Um, actually, noticeably smaller. You know, he looks smaller, but you know that that could be meaning something. I, I, um, has he um, is he back in the um, testing pool yet? Yeah, officially he is now. After uh, a couple weeks back, what was when? What was the kickoff for that? Uh, 
Oh, when he when he crashed the cage against Cormier at 226, that a couple days later he officially entered. So we're looking at a January 8th he'll be cleared. You'd have to assume we're going to see him against Cormier like very shortly after, whether that's Super Bowl weekend or whatever. Yeah, probably, probably yeah, Super Bowl weekend, probably fe- early February. I guess it is what it is, King Mo. It's going to move giant numbers. No one's going to give Brock a chance to win, though. It's going to be one of those spectacles. Yeah, but that, but it's a, that's, that's what it's about. When, uh, when it comes out making your money, you have to have big money fights to keep things moving smoothly sometimes. All right, well, let, that puts SummerSlam behind us. Not a ton of MMA spillover news there, but King Mo, what's going on in the life of Mohamed Luwal? We got some stuff to get into this week, but we always want to check in on where you're at mentally, where you're at physically. Are there any talks about a, a comeback here? What's going on? You're still the lineal money weight champion from my perspective. Any any phones ringing right now? Well, uh, I think I could be fighting in November. Um, but I, I'm back training. I've been training, sparring, doing it all like normally. So uh, I'm just waiting to hear back from Bellator. But I'm pretty sure it might be in November, so I'm thinking. All right, all right. Hey, I did run into Travis Brown, by the way, over this weekend, doing this Ronda Rousey SummerSlam thing. Despite the four straight losses in the UFC, he's going to have foot surgery, and he is planning on coming back. But a little tidbit. I said, you got to come back in UFC or Bellator. And I didn't mean that as like a slight. I meant that as like... There's big names in Bellator right now. Like, if a, if a name heavyweight walks in, you may be able to fight a Fedor or a Chael Sun, and you may be able to get a title shot. He said, heck no. I didn't come into MMA for the money. I came in to fight the very best. I'll only fight in the UFC. End quote, Travis Brown. There's an exclusive right here, King Mo. Uh, I guess that's cool. I, I know you're still fighting, but good to know. I, I was almost going to come back and be like, hey, hey TB, Kind of riding a, a hot losing streak here. If uh, if if the Coker phone rings, take it, bro. Take it. All right, take it. Yeah, but it's not, not guaranteed he'll win there either. So you know, okay. that's is easy. All right. Well, if I'm matchmaking, I'm still making King Mo Machida. It's going to do big ratings on TV. We'll see <laughs> what happens down that road. Uh, so of course we have UFC Lincoln this weekend. Good fight there. Anything else going on in the news cycle that's got your attention lately? We've been off for a week and two weeks here. What's happening? You've been following it? As far as MMA is concerned? Yeah. It's it's a a dry time right now. You know, the Conor Habib fight was announced. Luke Walkhouse will be fighting Chris Chris Weidman sometime. Uh, I think the Brooklyn card or the New York card is is a pretty stacked card. Um, we just need a main event on that UFC 230, November 3rd, the return to Madison Square Garden. And, you know, we speculated a couple weeks ago on this pod that, like, you get that feeling like it could be a uh, John Jones or Gustafson or Cormier or some combination of those three. I don't think that feeling has changed, but you hear rumblings that John Jones is back in the USADA testing pool. Like, when it, there's something going on here, King Mo. We gotta get this guy. We gotta get a USADA hearing to clear this up because I, I never heard nothing about him back, being back in the testing pool. But he, he might be. The guess is very quiet about the situation. Nothing's been said, so that could be good news. It's just you know, it's John. weird that we're a year past his failed test, and publicly we're nowhere closer to his return. You feel like privately, because everybody's so quiet, that something's going on there. But let's not lie. I mean. It is what it is with the with the failed test and the tainted supplement. But if he comes back, that's giant business, and that is a very, very worthy 
headliner. Any combination of those three, Jones, Cormier, or Gustafson, you got yourself a good 230 headliner to pair with Nate Diaz coming back. But, Kingmo, if you can't make any of those fights, is there a break glass in case of emergency main event that we're not thinking of that could make a UFC MSG card feel like one? Hmm. I mean, would that be a GSP Anderson Silva just throw the money at them and say, please save us? Well, I would have GSP Anderson Silva co-main event and just have Dustin versus Diaz main event. You know, you got two younger guys, main events, um, Anderson versus, uh, versus uh, GSP. Ain't been that active. Three rounds. Because I, I just, you know, those, those, those two, those four people, their names are known, are very, are very popular in their fighters. Especially Diaz and uh, Dustin. Get yourself a little slugfest for the main event. Get yourself a little technical brawl for the co-main. The one thing Dana White has said is he's going to go big on that card. And the two times they've been in MSG, they've gone big. If you remember 205, of course, with Connor and Eddie Alvarez. You had Woodley and Thompson. You had a loaded card there. And then, of course, 217 with those three straight title fights that were all hot fire. King Mo, you remember that. You remember GSP, Bisping, Cody, TJ, and Rose, Joanna, one. We oh, need we need that type of card. 230, what they could do for 230, they could have uh, Cyborg, um, Nunez. If they're going to do that, they should do it then. That's, a, that's an interesting point. Hey, shout out to Amanda Nunez, your your training teammate, who who yeah. who popped the question to longtime girlfriend Nina Ansarov, and they will be getting married. Uh, you're you're close with them. That, that, that's great news. Uh, you know they've yes. been they they've been great ambassadors for the sport in many ways. Yeah, you know um, they're open they're open about the relationship. They're happy. I'm happy for them. And I saw that um, they, the, they had the rings on. So I don't know the date. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but it happened. So, hey, if you, if you get that invitation, you'll tear up the dance floor at the reception. I know that. <laughs> I know that. Hey, King Mo, let's talk about GSP for a second here because Dana White went on, uh, what was that, the BBC MMA show. And we know that GSP is only interested in taking the fights that will further his legacy. So what that ultimately means is a, a, a rare late 30s cut down in weight. He wants to go to lightweight and fight the winner of Conor McGregor, Habib Nurmagomedov. The whole idea has become the first three-division UFC champion. Dana says, heck no, dude. Quote, I'm not interested in that fight. GSP knows that. I've told him many times. Essentially, Dana's beef here is that he feels GSP kind of held them hostage when he won the middleweight title. And even though the language in the contract said he would only be allowed to take the Bisping fight if he was willing to defend that title, we know what happened next. GSP dropped the belt right away. He kind of played the UFC in a way that most fighters are unable to pull off. Now Dana's saying, hey, if, if GSP comes back, I only want it at 170. Do you play this up as just typical Dana, I'm going to say one thing and then do another for the sake of business? Or you think he's going to stand his guard here? Because let's not lie. GSP versus, let's say, Connor, if he beats Habib, is the biggest fight UFC could ever make. So let's not, like, let's not look past how easily UFC is selling its soul these days. What do you make of this? Well, I think that he said for a reason in, in an interview. He brought it up for a reason in an interview, right? He responded to it. I think that he just threw it out there to see that, um, if he, see what type of response he gets. Oh, he's like, if he's like, oh no, well, George Xavier City wants to fight the winner of Habib uh, um, Connor. 
but I'm not gonna let that happen. People are like, what? George said what? Oh, oh, and then just if if the more Dana hints and teases it, you know what I'm saying, the more it's gonna demand a little demand a little hype. to get the hype. And and after that fight's over with, if Connor happens to win, that's the next big step. That or one of the Diaz brothers. So it could Gia- be a, do you think it's an early way for Dana to get ahead of it and try to financially stiff arm GSP? Uh, I, I think that, um, yeah, in a little bit, yeah, I think that he'll, yeah, I think, I think it'll be tit for tat, cause George has some power, you know what I'm saying? Dana has power. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens, because if Connor and, uh, uh, and Habib do big numbers, huge numbers, which it should, and just real big numbers, then Dana might be like, you know what, George, we don't need you. I just have I just have a uh, Connor fight Nick or Nate. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. And, well, Ferguson. Uh, Dana made the comment of quote I don't know if he'll ever fight again, which is basically what he said all of last year leading into the Bispink fight. It's kind of typical BS. I got to give GSP this credit though, King Mo. We know this is a money business, and sometimes as fans and journalists, we get angry when fighters put money ahead of glory because we have this like romantic notion that every fighter should only take the fights against the toughest guy available to further their own legacy. GSP is a dude who, yes, he's financially motivated, but all his decisions are, how do I make my legacy even bigger than it already is? Like, I'm already one of the greatest of all time if I'm GSP, but he's nonstop trying to find situations on how he could become the singular greatest fighter in history. I gotta respect that. Yeah, and two, that also brings a lot of money as well. Like George, it's like this. It got to the point where George is, George has established so much, has done so much, established himself so well that whatever he chooses to do, win or lose, it won't hurt his legacy. If he were to lose to Bisping, it wouldn't hurt him because he was coming off a year layoff. He's coming up a weight class. Uh, you know, he's a smaller guy, so you know, so what? But, but he he went up there and still won. That's the thing. Like now, whatever he does, it's a, it's, it's not going to affect him. It's just going to help him. The fact that he's trying to do it is helping him. And he's sort of held control. Like we know Connor has the most leverage and control any fighter's ever known because of his ability to move product. Brock, you could argue the same. We know Randy Couture during the dark ages when no UFC fighters had control was trying his best to fight and he got screwed a couple times by the company. They stripped him of the title once. GSP, you got to give him credit. And in the history of fighters trying to stand on their own financially and make strong decisions, he's by by going away and then coming back on his own terms, he's got a a strong amount of control right now when it comes to – I mean, look, he he sat down for negotiations over the whole Reebok thing, even though he's not sponsored by Reebok, and figured that out as well. We thought that might be a way he wouldn't come back. He's a pretty smart dude, pretty savvy guy here. Yeah. Guys, you know, he's a great fighter, has smart people around him, and he understands the business. He, that's Once you understand the game, and th- it make, everything comes easier, the fight game and the business game, everything comes easier. How, mu- how, how long did it take you to, to, to get savvy in that regard in terms of the, the where you're like, this isn't just a job, this isn't just I love fighting – this is a business, and I have to fight at the negotiation table as aggressively as I do in that cage. Uh, about four or five years into it, you know, I, I started hearing stories, started 
seeing seeing people, talking to people, and uh, realizing it's about the money. Don't let them fool you, because a lot of people will fool you, and the fans will, will get the fighters beat up and hurt real bad. Because the thing is, if, if fighters listen to fans, we'll be, we'll be broke. We'll be great fighters, but broke. Or we'll be, or we'll be, you know, we'll have like losing records and broke. Because the fighters do want the, the fans want the fighters to fight the toughest fights possible, like you said, every week or every day. You know, I, I can fight Canelo, I mean, or I can fight Anthony Joshua tomorrow, and then there'll be calls like, oh, Mo, Mo Duck and Tyson Fury, fight him in three days. I fight him. Oh, well, Mo's Duck and Wilder. <laughs> And then, you know, and then suddenly Mo's washed because he took yeah, a couple yeah, losses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're right. So, I mean, you know what's interesting, King Mo, is we glorify the, the 1980s boxing. Rightfully so, by the way. We glorify it because you had the four kings. You had Duran, Leonard, Hearns, Hagler, and they all fought each other for the most part. But that era, which came right after the Muhammad Ali era, you had a lot of guys who dared to be great constantly and always took tough fight after tough fight. But like in their mid forties, we're slurring on the microphone and you saw the results of fights. And now what preceded that, although the 90s were certainly great for heavyweight boxing, was the launch of UFC and in boxing, at least an era where fighters were more controlled. Fighters became this Floyd Mayweather model of let me try to gain back the control and not leave myself exposed in that regard. Do you think because fighting was so great, especially boxing in the 70s and 80s, that nowadays guys look back on that and they'd be like, we want, you know, we want the money more than we want the slurred speech. Like the glory's great, but like, are there savvier businessmen today, or do they learn a lesson from the 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 tough price that guys like, let's be honest, Muhammad Ali took for being that great in the ring and taking all those chances? The guy took a strong physical price for that. Yeah, I think that wait, wait, it comes down to it comes down to the fighter and who they're with, and it also comes down to where the where in the career the fighter the fighter's at. Because an older fighter will have understood what will understand that younger fighters, when you first get in the game, you believe you're in, like you know unstoppable. You believe you're invincible. You believe that all those stories of like, oh he got he got screwed or he got cheated, ain't gonna happen to you. You know what I'm saying? When you first get in the game, you're fresh in the game. So you're like, all right, nothing's happened to me yet, so this is never gonna happen to me. And then as it slowly starts to happen to you, that's when you realize, okay, now I understand what these guys meant. I'm going to start listening to him more. Interesting. Very interesting. King Mo, UFC 229, that's the Connor Habib fight, of course, October 6th, Las Vegas, is just about sold out. And MMA fighting saying it's already the second largest gate in UFC history. As things stand right now, it's really not necessarily a deep card behind Connor Habib. Do you think it's going to stay that way? Do you think... Do you think it should stay that way? Do you think UFC realizes this is going to be the biggest fight of all time? We don't need a second title fight. We don't need a big co-main event. Roll out Connor Habib like it's a boxing main event, and everyone's going to eat it up. Let's end this conversation right now. I think, I think they should have a, a decent co-main event because you never know what's going to happen. Connor's tough. Well, Connor gets ragdolled and grounded and pounded and grinded out for 25 minutes. That's a fair point. Or what if Habib or Connor... Uh, have a weight issue or an injury issue and you don't have that strong co-main to sub somebody yeah. in and save it. Uh, you know, you'd think in, in, we're probably going to get a big name lightweight co-main event probably exactly for that same idea to have somebody ready. Like maybe a, I mean, Kevin Lee, somebody like that. 
that probably seems like it's an intelligent choice to have on the card if one of these guys should fall out. It does beg a question of why you're not having Nate Diaz, Poirier as the co-main here. Why do you think ultimately UFC decided to separate those two fights? Um, probably because uh, I fear Diaz. Maybe I don't know. That's it. That's Who knows? A, I mean, maybe it's just to use Diaz's marketability at the MSG card. But if you had those two back to back on this card, you'd essentially be previewing what the next year is going to look like for the UFC, and it's going to look like big time pay per view buys in that loaded lightweight division. Yeah, but I understand. From what I understand, Diaz has a uh, has issues with Connor's camp and Habib's camp. Interesting. Interesting. It'll be a three way brawl. It'd be the Los Barricos versus the versus the um, nation, um, the nation domination versus the um, <laughs> yeah, way. It'd be that trifecta. I love when '90s wrestling fan King Mo comes out of there. Uh, Tony Ferguson is also part of this conversation, King Mo, because he's announced that he's back in training. He's ready to bring the chaos. He says. If you're Tony Ferguson, and we just had this long conversation about being a savvy businessman, I got I, I got a I got a message, Tony. Don't accept any fight that isn't the winner of Conor Habib. And if GSP wrecks your plans and you must accept a, a fight, it's got to be the winner of Nate Dustin because you're riding a ten fight win streak. You're not young. You're 34. You've been so close to having your moment and has have had it taken away either through Habib. You know, having the weight issue at 209 or Tony at that freak injury in front of 223. I feel, King Mo, that this is Tony's time to stand firm. I also think it's his time to kick open that cage door after Conor Habib, push GSP out of the way, make a scene, make a moment, and say, no, guys, I'm the guy. This is the the most loaded division in the sport. He's got a 10-fight win streak. He can talk. He's potentially marketable. He's got a great style, all that stuff. Don't accept a fight against somebody like Ally Aquinta and risk losing this rare sort of foundation you've built. You don't get these superstar chances too often, King Bone. What I mean is to win a fight and to get yourself in a winner of Habib Connor type fight. Those those opportunities don't come along. Am I, am I making sense here? Is this the blueprint that Tony should follow? You're making sense, but at the same time, the UFC has been known to punish people that do that. They punish you. They could be like, hey, we want you to fight this guy from Russia on this card, or this guy from Brazil on this card, or this guy from Australia on this card. And he could be tough. And if he doesn't take it, then they might strip him. Because remember... I think they Kobe already did strip him, and then they put it back on him. Like, it's so oh, weird. Kobe Covington, I heard he might get, he might get stripped. So you, you never know. You might you could keep the belt. You could get stripped. You just don't know. So, you know, you, you kind of have to play ball. Or, or they can get mad and take their ball and go home, meaning you get stripped. I feel like he's got goodwill for the way that he's handled it and how freak that injury was ahead of 223, but you just don't want to see that guy not get his moment, not get his opportunity and lose to somebody he shouldn't or, you know, take a fight and then have his knee act up. If his knee's going to act up in a fight, I want it to be for the title and, and take his swing because not, he's not young. This guy's ready. He's, 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 he's been up and down the rankings. He's ready. I put him right there. And you know, maybe with, maybe with Dana's comments about, hey, GSP back off, who knows? Maybe, maybe he's got plans for Tony to fight the winner. It's certainly, if you're following the storylines, it would be deserved. Obviously, when you got a guy like GSP who can bring that type of money, 
all bets are off. They may just cash in there. But this is very interesting, King Mo. I don't want that guy to get lost. That's all I'm saying. I don't know why I care that much. I just, you know, I follow this journey. You want to see, uh, you want to see guys get their chance. Yeah, let's hope that uh, he listens to your advice. Hope he takes your advice because some people, it's hard to man when you got when you got people telling you hey, telling you one thing they can help you, and then an, an organization telling you one thing that they want you to do that won't help you. But if you win that fight, it could help you. It's a bunch of ifs. If you do this, you will get this. If this happens, you you know. But what if it don't happen? What happens? So. Right now, he's a dilemma, dilemma on his hands. He can handle it. It just depends. Does he have to win more, one more fight to get to the winner of Connor and, uh, Habib? Or is he next? Is he next in line? No one knows. I guess we're going to find out. That's a hell of a division, though. I think that's yeah. the, the deepest and best division. I always stand by my love, though, of women's strawweights 115 in the UFC as being the, mo- the, the most exciting, and I say that because the fights deliver every single time. King Mo, do you? What's your? What's your? What's the best division for you to watch in MMA? Uh, uh, I think I uh, actually all of them because they're all equally talented. It just depends on which organization. But you when know, one seventy, one eighty five, you always find you know your your best athletes in that division because more men walk around at that weight. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hey, 230, which is that MSG card we referenced. One thing, though, is you all Romero told Ariel Hawani yesterday that Paula, Co- the Paulo Costa about not so fast, my friends. He needs four to five months, meaning Romero, to recover from, yeah, I think it was an eye injury that he suffered against Whitaker. So that one looks off. We already have some, some sweet middleweight bouts on that card, whether you like Jacare, David Branch. We mentioned Weidman, Rockhold 2, which is now official. Derek Brunson against the last style bender. I was interested, though, in Romero Costa. I wanted to find out who who's the real in that one. Yeah, yeah I think that Romero was going was gonna to win that fight. But the thing about Costa is um, he's, 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 he's impressive. He has a good look, a heavy puncher. But let's see how he looks after the second round yeah. or after the first round of a hard, like, you know, Dealing with someone you can't touch until he's got to initiate grappling exchanges. Because the grappling exchanges is what builds up the lactic acid in your body, causing you to be slow. So, who knows? If, if, if Paulo has a high lactic acid threshold, that division's going to be in some problems. Wow, wow. King Mo, uh, November 24th in Beijing, we're going to have a main event of Francis Ngannou Curtis Blades, a rematch. Considering the, the the state of heavyweight coming off of that Ngannou Derek Lewis disappointment at 226, this the right move you think for everybody involved? You care about this fight because Blades was sort of the only guy on the initial rise of Ngannou who showed him some resistance. Uh, yeah, they could do that fight. It's like, that should have been the last fight for Curtis Blades. I feel like instead said Derek Lewis versus uh, versus Ngannou, they should have Derek. They should um. Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis or Curtis Blades versus Ngannou then. Yeah, because Lewis was the guy who won the Ngannou fight, even though it was pretty much everyone lost that. Every The fans, everyone lost that. Uh, yeah, you know, but the thing is, Curtis Blades should have faced the winner of that match right then. That would have made more sense. And we will see Derek Lewis back on that Connor Habib card. He'll be taking on Alexander Volkov. It's, it's, it's all right. It's not, it's, not, it's not a horrible matchup. Volkov is... 
sort of red hot at the moment. Six fight win streak, the former Bellator champion. Uh, yeah, quiet time for MMA. Not a ton of news. I did see Connor's boy, James Gallagher, the, one of the Bellator up and coming prospects, got smoked via, what was that first round knockout there? Comes oh, yeah. back, says, hey, quote, I'm still the shit. End quote. That there's some, there's some chutz pun confidence. I thought he took the loss well publicly. He got rocked by a right hand. He took a kick to the face. Now he's trying to secure a rematch. I'm trying to find the name of the guy who, who, uh, who took him out there. Did you know anything about that guy who beat him? Uh, he, you know, uh, I didn't know much about it, but I know that he had a solid record. I think he was 11 and 1 coming in. Uh, guy like James Gallagher, training partner of McGregor, seemed to follow the blueprint on how to get yourself noticed and was, was crazy outspoken. You think he can bounce back from something like this? I mean, we just saw Aaron Pico sort of bounce back from something similar. Is, is Gallagher a guy that, that, that moves you at all that you think's got a future or do you think he's just a loudmouth? No, I think, I think he has a future. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd have him fight that guy in a rematch because I think that was his first fight at that weight class. I think he went down to one to one thirty five. It was Ricky Bandejas, yeah. who talked a lot of trash. By the way, uh, Gallagher got right in his face before that fight started. Was was very, you know. But hey, uh, the losses don't matter as much in the initial rise in terms of derailing a prospect. Let's see if he win loses. Let's see if he learns from this. He's only twenty one, so yeah. you know he's a babe in the sport. If he if he can learn from this and and bounce back and keep moving forward, he'll he'll be tough, to, even tougher to beat. We've got some, uh, some fights coming together. Hey, we're gonna see, uh, Artem Lobov take on, uh, Habib's teammate. Am I pronouncing this right? Zubaira Tugov? Probably way off there, but that's gonna be a U- UFC Mockton card, which is in Canada. Uh, I would've liked to see this, not that I care a ton about this fight, but storyline-wise, wouldn't that be good to put it on the Connor Habib undercard? Cause it's, cause it's teammate versus teammate? They should've done that. Really, they should've done that, but maybe it'll avoid less drama. And your guy, Kamaro Usman, your teammate, is essentially in the bullpen. He's not my teammate. Where's he, where's he train out of? I thought he was out of ATT, no? He's at Combat Club. Ah, all right. Well, he's been sort of tabbed as the break glass in case of emergency for the September 8th Dallas welterweight title fight between Darren Till and Tyron Woodley. Is he deserving of that spot? Does this even matter? I mean, it should have maybe been Colby, right? It doesn't matter because from what I understand, uh, Woodley is going to fight with Till Regardless, even if you make weight, if you miss weight, Tyra's going to fight him regardless. So, you know, Usman will get an easy paycheck just to make weight and be close to weight, but I don't think he'll be fighting Woodley. It's, the thing about this is two different opponents, two different styles. You got a guy that can wrestle versus a guy that can't wrestle as a striker, and you're training for the striker. Well, if you're training for him and you got the right training partners, stick with him regardless, because if he misses weight, guess what? You get a percentage of his purse. If he makes weight, guess what? You got to fight. Go ahead and do it. That's it. That's it. That's the way it is. Uh, interesting. Hey, Gray Maynard's going to keep going on at age 39. He's sort of a guy I forgot about that's still fighting out there, uh, still still lingering. I, I'm always down for a Gray Maynard scrap. He's going to fight Nick Lentz at UFC 229. Not, not a ton of big news. That's sort of the news that we're down to, re- relaying stuff like that. Although we did see Darian, Darian Caldwell move up in weight, get a victory with Bellator, and then call out one of the Pitbull brothers. I'm I'm there. I'm here for that. Yeah, Caldwell can fight, man, doing his thing. Uh, he's learning on the job. 145 is a tough weight class. Yeah, he has some killers in that weight class, and uh, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what he can do. 
Kingmo, before we get into UFC Lincoln, which has a really good main event, not much to, to – there's some names after there, but uh, you, you still hear Joseph Benavidez coming off the victory over Demetrius Johnson. We know that Johnson had two injuries, going to be on the shelf for a little bit, still wanting a title versus title bout with TJ Dillashaw at Bantamweight. This is something, Kingmo, that it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. It would have made a lot of sense for DJ – for legacy reasons and the fact that he cleared out that division twice, I don't think that's a reward that Cejudo ultimately deserves. I mean, that fight was close. He didn't convincingly beat the champion. I mean, if UFC bends and just says, hey, Cejudo's got a chance to be a star in the Hispanic market, let's push him, give him a chance at immortality, now that would be a questionable decision in my eyes. Well, you know, um, you called him Joseph Benavidez at first. So I was going to say something, but you clicked it. You clicked it. But uh, um, they could do it because if they do it, what's going to happen? Who's going to be – people will be mad, but they'll still watch it. That, Nothing will happen. And the thing is that my, then Mayim Oscar – if Cejudo wins, then Mayim Oscar get do a rematch for both those belts. Who knows? You know, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but whatever they choose to do, People will get mad at first, and they'll forget. People have short memories in MMA. That is true. That is true. But you got—I think you got fights to make now at Flyweight. I mean, certainly Johnson deserves that rematch out of any champion who's ever lost. And we had this conversation of should they get the immediate rematch? Johnson deserves that. So if you have to wait nine months for him to come back, can't you put Cejudo in there against the winner of Formiga, Sergio Pettis, just to you know give him a stay busy to see where, where he's at? I, I really don't think that you go champion versus champion for no reason. You you want to do it with Cyborg and Nunes because Nunez because they both have essentially cleaned out their respective divisions. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. do it here. You know, I mentioned Joseph. You mentioned Joseph Benavidez. Hey, he beat Cejudo two years yeah. ago in in essentially a fight of the year candidate. I know Joseph is coming off of a loss, Jiu-Jitsu, but I'd like to see that fight for a title. Yeah, it might be made. It might have to be made next. You know, uh, it'd be a never, weird time to see somebody coming in off a loss. We haven't seen that since Holly Holm took on Durandamy. Yeah, but they could give a give him a fight, give him a win, and if that fight if that win's impressive, he can get a title shot. It, all, all it comes down to is how you look before you, you know before you get a title shot. If you're impressive, you can get a title shot right then. You know, I like Benavidez, and he's, he was sort of set up to be career bridesmaid because he couldn't get over the DJ hurdle. Pushed him in that first fight, which is a close decision. Got blasted out by first-round knockout in the second. Seemed close to getting in position for a trilogy fight that was never cashed in. That's a guy I like to see get one chance. One, one more chance at the belt. Sort of have a late career Misha Tate type, type of potential for a moment there. Uh, it could possibly happen because the weight class ain't that deep. One and two wins, he's back in line for a title shot. One impressive win, he's in line for a title shot. One twenty-five, they still built. I feel like it's a weight class they're still trying to find talent for to bolster that division. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, King Mo. Before we get into UFC Lincoln, I've got a chat we want to share here ahead of Saturday's BKFC card. That's Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships two. We've got the spider, Kendall Grove, to chat about it. Let's hear. Enjoy. Kendall Grove, the spider, stepping into the CBS Sports Podcast here. My man, BKFC, we're going to do some fighting. 
How's everything going? Thanks for joining me, man. Oh, very good, very good. Excited, nervous, all mixed into one. Um, um, can't wait to get back in there and try something new, you know. Um, and yeah, I'm pumped. I love Motivated. it. I love <laughs> excited and nervous. I love how you mix those two together. Bare knuckle fighting championships. Part two. Yes. A new era. The Mississippi Coast Coliseum in Biloxi. It's going to be on pay-per-view Saturday, August 25th. The first show they had though, a couple months back in Wyoming did pretty well on pay-per-view. What was your relationship to that? Did, how did that get on your radar to make you join, join the team for the second time around? Um, I heard. Like I didn't watch it. I honestly didn't watch it up until someone was uh, as it was going on. I was watching my updates on my social media, and I heard Joey Beltran, who's a friend of mine who I fought before. Um, but I trained train, training partners, and I wanted to see how he did. And everyone was saying, "Oh my God, it was an epic fight!" Watched it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this looks fun! <laughs> it looks fun!" And um, um. And when I heard, oh, yeah, their hand, Joey and him, both their hands were fine. And um, I kind of got interested, you know, and then I started reaching out. People reached out on me on social media, uh, never materialized. And then um, my manager asked me, I said, yeah, uh, he started working on it. And then I was at the UFC where uh, International Fight Week. And I seen Crazy Bob Cook, and he's like, "Hey, I was just talking about you with uh, I would have uh, assumingly Dave Feldman, and then um, um, he was like, hey, do you want to fight on that thing?' I was like, "Yeah, I've been trying to get a hold of him, um, but can't get can't nothing." And then within three weeks after that, I was signed up and ready to go. <laughs> go, and now you're headlining the second card here in Biloxi, and and it's kind of cool because. People hear this, they go, oh, bare-knuckle boxing, yet you're a 13-fight UFC veteran, a Bellator veteran, and these this card will have Beck Rawlings, Joey Beltran. We saw Rico Rodriguez last time out. Why do you think this is attracting more MMA names than boxing? Well, for me, it's combat sports. You know, um, I'm a mixed martial artist, you know, and it just so happened now I'm bare-knuckle boxing. It's just uh, it's a branch of martial arts. You know, it just so happened it's just striking. And the last five years, it kind of, I kind of got really into boxing, you know, and everything just lined up perfect. And I was taking a break from MMA the rest of this year, and this materialized, and it got me excited again. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just attracting us because it's new, and it's exciting. And it's a gamble. You know, you go uh, fighting in general is a gamble, but uh, you go out there, train your butt off and you bank on yourself and yeah, see how it goes. But I, I think it's attracting us because it's new and um, the first show did well, uh, ratings wise and good fights. And now they produce this second card, which there's a lot of big names, you know, Chris Lysolito. Uh, crazy horse, uh, Beck Rawlings, the semifinals of the heavyweight tournament. So uh, it's a big, it's a big card. And I'm excited to be a part of it. You know, you've, you've done a MMA forever wearing gloves. I'm sure you've, you've trained boxing many times over. What's the challenge here 
and how you change your strategy with no gloves, with just the fist. It's like being in the street. How do you have to alter your yeah. style to be effective? Um, I think you can't fight. You know, you got to be technical. Um, you got to pick your shots now that you don't have protection on your knuckles and and your wrist. Um, you you have on your wrist, but just not on your knuckles. So you don't want to be throwing reckless and you break your hand on their head. You hit a hot hard spot in the head. So. Now you got to get a real technical approach. Um, you don't want to get hit, so you want to be elusive, you, you, head movement, footwork. So you kind of got to adapt yourself into that boxing mentality. A lot of people see it with gloveless. They think, oh, street fight, street fight, street fight. So if you come into it with that mentality, I mean, you got a chance, a puncher's chance, but when you go into a fight, you don't want that chance. you rather have... <laughs> Um, you know, skill, technique, and a game plan going in it. And for me, it's just picking my shots, being technical, using my range, and um, yeah, be smart, be a boxer, not a fighter. I like, I like that strategy. You're right, because you do think of this. You think of a street fight. You think of almost. I thought of it like a UFC one, like the early days kind of feel where it's raw. It's barely legal, right? Because some of the state legislature doesn't even allow for this, but technique and probably stamina ultimately will win out is there anything you picked up on from watching that first card after the fact that that sort of gave you a few tips or pointers uh yeah a lot of footwork don't sit in a pocket even though it's a uh, uh you, you can look good not getting hit <laughs> you know what i mean um but try not to take as much damage you know and um use the ring circle and yeah, just be a smart fighter, honestly. Uh, I don't want to give anybody a chance to beat me, so I'm just going to go in there and use my God-given talent and gifts that he's given me with my long-ass reach, my long frame, and my um, light weight. <laughs> so I'm going to go out there and have fun and just box the guy. Six. I mean, try and finish. and make him excited too, but try not to get hit so I can stay healthy and fight again. <laughs> You've always been tall for your weight classes, and any weight class, six foot six is tall. You'll be fighting at 185 pounds against Bruce Abramsky. Is there tape on this guy? What do you know about this guy? What type of fight is this going to be for you? Um, he's a gamer. He, he comes to fight. You know, he swings. Uh, he's not the cleanest standout. Um, I mean, most titan standout, but he ain't afraid to mix it up and. Um, I've, I've only seen his MMA fights. I know he has one boxing slash tough man that he's won, and I haven't seen that, but I just know he's game. He took the fight, so he's game, and, um, he has everything to gain, nothing to lose coming in fighting me, so that's dangerous, and if he catches me slipping, it's gonna be a long night for me, but, you know, I don't see it going that way. I, I've been busting my butt since I got this call to fight. Um, and like I said, I'm excited. It woke me up. It's something new, you know, uh, and um, it's 10 days away, 11 days away. So uh, Mississippi, get ready. Um, Hawaii's coming to put on the show, <laughs> and I hope you guys enjoy it. Now, uh, you mentioned Hawaii there, your home state. You're part of that strong MMA lineage from BJ Penn all the way to current UFC champion Max Holloway. 
What's it about these Hawaiian boys, man? They're to, Yancey Madero's, these are some tough dudes. What's going on in the water over there? Uh, I think it's just part of our culture, you know. Um, um, uh, 200 years ago, we were still fighting hand-to-hand combat, um, invading territories here in Hawaii. And so it, it's burned in our DNA. So growing up, um, you know, we didn't have to worry about too much. I don't want to make it seem like it was it's a bad place. It's an awesome place to grow up, you know. Um Growing up, we didn't have to worry about getting stabbed, shot for anything. And uh, a lot of ways, a lot of times, how we set up our differences is fighting, you know, in the schoolyards. And it's just natural here, you know. And I think growing up, it just made it an easy transition to do it, to be a prize fighter. You know, we've been growing up doing it for free most of our lives. And, and that kind of made us with a good mentality coming into it and also experience. And um, I think that's why, you know, and, and we, have, we have a lot of pride, you know, representing where we come from. Um, we, we represent, we have big families and we all love to represent our families and we take a lot of pride in that. And uh, when it's us out there winning, it's our families and our friends and the people we grew up with out there winning too, you know, and they support us 100%. And it's an unbelievable feeling when you have a whole island supporting you in what you do. And it only makes us go out there and fight harder. And Max is showing it. Yancey is showing it. Everyone is showing it, you know. And we come a long way from just, you know, um, Egan, uh, Anton Inoue, you know, Ronald Jun, uh, Falaniko Votale, BJ Penn, you know, uh, Shane Nelson, all, all, all the first wave of Hawaiian fighters to the second wave to the third wave and et cetera. And it's only going to get bigger. And now that there's bare knuckle boxing, it's just another avenue to where now that I'm in it, I can do good and I can start mentioning names that I feel can represent the islands in bare knuckle boxing. And hopefully I can get them in and um, start another wave of Hawaiians and Polynesian fighters going out there and representing in what they believe in. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, is this, what does this mean for your MMA career? We saw you most recently in Bellator had, uh, had about eight fights there. We, we've known you forever. I mean, going back to the winning the third season of the ultimate fighter, you're, you're a name that's been around is this a, a pause on your MMA career, or are you sort of keeping your options open? Uh, options open. You know, I, I kind of want to take a break. My my body is um, weared and teared, you know, from jiu-jitsu. I mean, I still train. I still teach uh, every uh, a few guys here and there. But other than that, I, I ain't in a hard MMA camp. You know, I, I kind of want to stay away from that for a year. I've been loving just doing stand-up, you know, uh, uh, strengthening my my boxing, my uh, my range, my footwork, my head movement, and everything that is going into preparing for a bare knuckle boxing match. Now remember, it's boxing with two minute rounds. Just having we don't have gloves. We still have rules. It's every same rules as boxing, but just no gloves. And I. I'm loving it, man. <laughs> I ain't got to worry about getting taken down by a strong wrestler. I ain't got. I just worry about getting hit, you know. And yes. so it's it's making this camp a little easier, 
much uh, less stressful and uh, I'm loving it so far. I haven't fought yet. Uh, ask me this question on the 27th or the 26th <laughs> after a fight. And um, But no, I'm loving it so far and I'm excited for this opportunity and I hope this sport just grows and gets bigger. And I'm happy to be a part of making it get bigger. I don't want to take the place of BKFC founder and president David Feldman and try to play matchmaker here, but you mentioned you're friends with Joey Beltran. You fought him before you TKO two in twenty fifteen at Bellator one forty three. Could we see a bare knuckle fight between the two of you one day? I, I'm not trying to do the job of the promotion here, but this the story sells itself. Come on, Kendall. Story sells itself, but now we already fought. And he's at heavyweight. I only fight at middleweight. <laughs> <laughs> but um no, I mean obviously uh, if an opportunity presents itself, if, if the deal is right, I'll talk to Joey and, you know, if, if he feels it's right for his, his career and, you know, we'll do it. We're, we're fucking professionals, you know. Um, last time, um, me and him fought, it was because, uh, Rafael Cordero got the call to go fight for the title and Joey needed an opponent and they called me and that was the only time I could fight uh, and I needed to fight at the time and if I didn't fight that one I would have to wait like another four months so I took that fight but I called Joey right before the fight and he's like yeah I need to, let's just do it man respect and let's just go out there and do our thing make best man win and you know, I, I even wrote, I even messaged him after his bare knuckle fight, congratulated him and asked him how was it. And he let me know, he gave me a heads up and, but we're cool like that. But, you know, we're both, we're both businessmen. We both have families and we both have to feed them. And if the opportunity presents itself and it's good for both of us, then I'm down for it. But you're going to have to ask him. But yeah, I got nothing but respect for Joey and his success at bare knuckle boxing. I love it. Always down for a fight. The Spider, he's back. Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships 2, a new era. Biloxi, Mississippi, Saturday, August 25th. Kendall, thank you for the time, sir. Great catching up with you. Always been a big fan. The long arms, the Spider, he always comes to fight. Best of luck in this new venture for you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the love and support throughout my career. Um, like you said, August 25th, watch me, Bare Knuckle Boxing. Booyah. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, guys. Game well, we talked about bare knuckle fighting in the past. I feel like they're marketing it now. There's two organizations now. Another one popped up. The the second organization that has Sean Merriman, has Chris Lieben, and others. This Saturday is BKFC, which has Chris Lytle, Kendall Grove, etc. I feel like this is being marketed exclusively to MMA fans. Where when it launched, we're like, oh, bare knuckle boxing. If you notice the word boxing. Not in the name of either promotion. This seems like it's a uh, MMA vehicle in the long run. Yeah, it looks like it's like, like you know boxing, mixed dirty boxing, stand up, no kicks, knees or elbows, everything else goes. Just all stand up. I think people like to see that too. Uh, well, maybe we'll see King Mo in that. Maybe. Yeah, quite possible. Man, they, somebody's got to buy that BKB pit. I know I say that every single week there. UFC fight night in Lincoln. I got to get into this lightweight main event because I'm so damn fired up for action, gore, and violence from the highlight Justin Gaethje. We talk on this show all the time 
that he's a huge highlight. He also takes huge damage. We don't know how long he's going to be able to pull this off, but this is a very important and interesting fight against James Vick, the Texecutioner. In a loaded lightweight division, Vick is, is on a run here, and he's trying to show you that he's that guy, that he can crash this already loaded title picture. King Mo, when you see this matchup, what jumps out at you? Because when I see it, the word violence is just screen. It's just I, I see blood spread across my TV screen, and I'm here for it, bro. It's gonna come down to. I think this fight can be good, but will, will Gaethje make any adjustments, or will we, will we see the same Gaethje? Now, if you're in his corner and you want adjustments, does that come in the form of little, slow, lower your pace and work on wrestling, or, or, or what are you sort of uh, recommending here? Mm, a little more count. Look for your counters. Don't be, don't play cat and mouse. Just don't play cat the whole time. Play a little cat and mouse because whenever he loses, it's off a of cat and mouse because he plays cat the whole time. So they set a trap for him. He gets countered and he's in trouble. This is such an interesting bout because Vic. I mean, look. I mean, he's sort of a freakishly tall lightweight at six foot three. He's thirteen and one outside of that. One punch KO loss essentially to Benu Dariush at UFC 199. He's really rolled through guys now. He's been slowly stepping up his com- competition. This is another leap forward in there. But this guy, if he keeps winning, King Mo, really is an interesting out at lightweight. The thing that Gage G still does, whether you love him or hate him, is he drags you into the deep end. That's the one thing he's going to do. He's going to be that gatekeeper of violence that says, if you're for real, you're going to have to stand in the hot waters of hell and prove it to me by stopping me because you're not, you, you're not, you're, you're not going to dissuade me from coming forward. You're going to have to, to kill me to beat me, so to speak. We're going to find out if James Vick has that backbone, King Mo. Do you think he does? Do you think he's got that, that toughness to be able to stand in there against a guy like this? Only way you can find out, and the only way we can find out is by watching them fight. Because, uh, not many people fight like Gaethje. The only a few. And the other guy I can think of is the guy Gaethje fought in the World Series of Fighting years ago. Yeah, but they both have similar fighting styles. So, yeah, that's gonna be a tough one for both guys, but Gaethje is a tougher fight for Vic, in my opinion. Every fight, anybody that fights Gaethje's in a war, so, you know, uh, it should be a, should be a battle. What do you like about Vic from a technical standpoint? I feel like he's pretty well rounded. Uh, he has some good, has some uh, slick submissions. You know, he's a good guy, solid ground game, and he's long and lanky. That's what makes him very dangerous. He has, he has a wide variety a wide variety of submissions he can go to off his length. There's been a lot of trash talk in the build for here. Of course, that that press conference. Heading into two, what was that? Heading into uh, two twenty-seven, when of course the Connor fight was announced, Nate Diaz was there. Some of the underrated best stuff we saw was between Vic and Gage and Vic essentially calling him a Homer Simpson, calling him, you know, kind of calling him out for the part of Gage's uh, resume or identity that sometimes we get worried about. It's that he does sort of throw away the game plan, go mano a mano, turn it into a war. For those type of fighters, King Mo, and Ruslan Provodnikov on the boxing side is one that reminds me of that. Just, just, he's gonna walk right into oncoming traffic and find out how big of a man you are. When it ends for those guys, when they lose that edge and that ability, it's a, it's a steep fall pretty much down the side of the hill. You have any fear that this is the fight 
Gagey could get stopped early in, and this run of being that monster, whether he wins or loses, being that monster who can drag you deep may, may be coming to an end. I mean, eventually we're going to have to see the effects of the damage that he's willing to take. Well, I think the best way to find out is if to have him fight a younger version of himself. Have him fight a guy with a similar style to a younger version because if he can't handle that younger version, then you can tell that he's, that he's probably past where he used to be. Because before, he used to thrive for them fights when he fought Baboon in the WSOF. And remember, he, he, and, and he still can handle that punishment, but if he can handle a fight with someone similar to, similar to himself and can deal with it, he's still around. Vic, on the other hand, Vic can sharpshoot him. I think it's going to be a problem for, problem for um, Gage because the, the, the reach and the length. And if, if Vic can fight composed, he can find shots and pick them apart. If he goes to the ground, you know, uh, Gagey can wrestle, but he hasn't shown his wrestling that good. Now, Vic can grapple, and he, he can go to submissions. He's, he's a great, you know, he's a great ground game, man. I feel like Vic has more ways to win, but I feel like Gagey can impose his style a little better. I think we're going to see violence and excitement either way. A quote from Gagey on the buildup was, it's going to be the most terrifying night of James Vick's life. He will wake up a humbled turd, and he won't look at himself in the mirror the same for a few weeks. I guarantee it. He's going to be a smashed turd when I'm done with him. End quote. Uh, not enough quotes about turds in the buildup to big fights, King Mo, but this one has that. Uh, I'd like to see Vic use his height and length advantages here a little bit better, something that Poirier was able to like Poirier – he had a walk into hell to beat Gage G, but he still was always trying to reset, use his length, go back to boxing. I'd like to see Vic do that and not not get so sucked in. Like, look, when you talent for talent, I think Vic's the better fighter here. The whole question is, is the spirit going to be broken? I'd like to see him, even more than Alvarez and Gage G and Johnson had been able to do, keep this fight from becoming a brawl. Because if he is a title contender, this is obviously a fight he's going to have to win. But how he wins it, too, could show you how ready James Vick is to crash this larger party at 155. Yeah, I agree with you 110%. I th- if, if Vick can win impressive, impressively, say, let's, if he wins, say he smashes him first round, like kind of like, uh, like, you know, Frank Yeager, um, not, um, you know, uh, I can't think of his Ortega? name. Ortega? Uh, who? Brian Ortega, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. If he does him like that, in that type of fashion, he might be able to, he might be able to be catapulted to the front of the line. You know, who knows? I mean, talk about this division. It's Connor, Habib, Tony Ferguson, Poirier, Alvarez, Kevin Lee, Edson Barbosa, Gage Anthony Pettis, Ayakinta, Vic, now Nate Diaz is back, GSP is lingering, Kiesa is somehow around there, Dan Hooker's on the rise. This is an all killer, no filler division. I love it. I mean, you almost you almost want to press pause and do an organized tournament. This is so good. We're essentially going to get an organized tournament anyway because they're going to keep pushing the best versus the best. But great time to be 155 right now, King Mo. I know you're the king of the money weight. Too bad you couldn't cut down a little bit more. <laughs> 155, way too much to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm good up here. Uh, this card is not deep. We do have some names. We have some situations. Look, Michael Johnson in the co-main against Andre Touchy-Feely. King Mo, Michael Johnson might be, at 32, the greatest UFC fighter with 
as bad of a record situation as he has right now where he's lost three in a row. What has he lost? Six of his last eight. Yet a lot of these defeats are against elite guys in which he's winning the fight before yeah. getting stopped, getting finished late. What do you do with a guy like Michael Johnson right now? And look, I don't think he's going to get caught because of his talent, but he's in a spot where a bad loss here, other guys in his spot have been caught before. He's now sort of a gatekeeper, yet at 32, he's still got the speed, still got the one-punch knockout ability. Is this a fight he wins to bounce back against Feely? Uh, it's a fight he needs to win to bounce back. I think he can do it. It just depends, man. Like It depends on his middle game. So that's what it comes down to. The mind is a powerful thing. So if he can get his mind right and go out there and handle, handle business and execute the game plan properly, he'll get the W. I mean, those, that's how it comes down to. You know, he was beating Darren Elkins in January before he got submitted. He had great moments against Gaethje before getting stopped in that all-time war. Heck, I just rewatched his 205 fight with Habib Nurmagomedov. Remember when he rocked Habib on the feet? Some people forget about that. We always remember the ground and pound of Habib staring in Dana White's face saying, you know, quit. I need this title opportunity. Let's go. And he took a beating in that fight. But, man, he rocked Habib early. We saw him knock out Dustin Poirier. This guy can still bring it. He's still the guy, one of those guys you're going to have to go through to prove that you're legit at lightweight. You know, there's an interesting fight that's buried on this undercard. And for a car, for a six-fight main card that's not that deep, yeah, we got a couple names on here. King Mo Mickey Gall is in an interesting spot that he's opening up the FS1 preliminary card in this case. When, what, a year ago we were talking about this guy as a future potential welterweight on the rise. Now, in, in this fight, we're going to see him against George Sullivan, the silencer. It's giving Mickey Gall just 4-1 and one, an opportunity to bounce back from that loss at 217, the, de- the decision loss. But it's interesting placement. I think given his ability to talk and the notoriety he got from beating not just CM Punk but Sage Northcutt, you would think they'd put him up higher on this card it almost gives you the feeling they're giving him a soft opportunity to bounce back because in that loss to Randy Brown last November, we saw we saw some things. I mean, it was a close fight, but we saw some bad things for the first time. We saw him meet some competition. This is now an opportunity to bounce back. Are you still high on his long-term value? Well, yeah, he's, I'm high on that. He's very talented, but at the same time, the name. So that name also can bring eyes to the, to, to the broadcast to the start of it. We're going to see him on there early against George Sullivan. Not 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 the deepest card. That's sort of the situation that we're at here. We are loading up and getting ready, though, for what should be a big fall. We've already talked about 229, 230. Heck, I you know I'm not I'm not against that September 8th Dallas card too. There with the Shevchenko Montano title bout should be interesting. King, you know, before we wrap, I got to get your thoughts on what's going on in the heavyweight boxing division and this gift that we stumbled into. We know the rumors of a Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight started to sprinkle in in the last few weeks, and we didn't know if we could take it seriously. Was this both trying to screw over Anthony Joshua for him ultimately saying no to Wilder right now and kind of pushing it off to next year? Fury came back against really a stiff in Francesco Pianetta over the weekend in Northern Ireland. Did Fury show you enough in that comeback now that he's only 10 pounds away from his 2015 prime weight when he beat Vladimir Klitschko that this fight could be not just the marketing spectacle but really the ultimate test for this for this version of Deontay Wilder on this rise to try to get to the point where we have an undisputed heavyweight champion? 
Well, um, I would rather see Tyson Fury get one more fight, but it's not going to happen. I honestly think this is a cash shot move on Tyson Fury's half. I think it's a cash shot move. I don't see, like, you know, I think he, that guy looked good, but the guy he fought had nothing, was just a punching bag. I think Deontay smokes him. I, you know, I just, I, I feel like this is gonna, I, th- I feel like that's what's gonna happen. And I feel like Anthony Joshua versus, versus uh, Deontay will happen next year two times. You know, if he smashes Fury, this is the ultimate advertisement to the rest of the, to, to casual fans, to the rest of the sport to make Wilder Joshua an even bigger fight. It's the ultimate leverage move for Wilder. You talk about negotiations. Look, I just beat the lineal champion. I have the one thing, Anthony Joshua, that you don't have. But, it's just really interesting, the matchup. Not just the trash talk potential. That's going to be incredible. That's going to be great. But this. What's always going to be in play, whether whether Fury comes in in great shape and he's that guy again or not, Wilder can end this fight at any point with one big punch. Yeah. But the unknown mystery of Fury really makes this interesting because King Mo, in an in-shape Fury, a motivated guy who can turn back the clock and get back to being the guy again, He's the kryptonite for every heavyweight. He's 6'9", can switch stances. He's got somehow, look, every tall fighter in boxing history that we've seen, all these giant heavyweights that have been, you know, Michael Grants, all these, even these guys that were athletic, they never seem to have that boxing savvy coordination, right? Remember that giant Russian with the the hairy dude? Remember that dude? Valuev. I mean, love or hate Fury, it gives you a lot of reasons to hate him. This is a nimble, coordinated dude who can switch stances. He's the ultimate kryptonite for the fact that even though Deontay's a big puncher, he's a technical mess. He's so raw, and that's part of what goes for him. But if somebody can silence Wilder and disarm him, it's certainly Fury. Man, he's going to have to walk through hell to do that. Man, it's hard to believe we could be confident that he could be the same guy. He didn't try to finish that 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 slow turd Pianetta there over the weekend. But the one thing about Fury King Mo, he's been inconsistent his whole career. He never, not one point in his rise, did he give you the feeling that he could be the guy he was against Klitschko. So I think when the stakes matter the most, you see a different Tyson Fury that comes out. When it's a fight he knows he can win, he clowns and he fools around. I think this will be a very, very, very interesting fight. Well, between me and you, I feel like he messed up a little bit. And I'll tell you why. For his training camp for this fight, he flew in Walt Harris. The you, the the MMA fighter? Yeah, Walt Harris is out there for weeks for his camp. Yeah. Training with Tyson Fury. Well, Walt Harris is from where? Alabama. Walt Harris also trained with who? Deontay Wilder. Ooh. Walt Harris lives near Deontay Wilder. Walt Harris knows Deontay Wilder real well. So, so which side like, is he working on? We got some pro wrestling going on here. He's, he's on Deontay's side. But the thing is that like I feel like just to, just I just just the fact that, that Deontay knows someone that's actually been in there and moved around with them, you know what I'm saying on a personal level, he can get some little gauge on like how quick do you feel, how long do you feel, you know because that's the that's the thing. Tyson Fury's so tall and long, no one's fought anyone that's tall and long as him, but yet can move like him and box like him. So that's the that, that's the thing right there. Malik Scott is the only one I can think of that De- that Deontay could possibly get to emulate him. But at the same time, the, the thing is that Malik Scott is not nearly as big or tall. Or he doesn't have that same type of flow style that Tyson Fury has. So and I really think Tyson Fury 
Yeah, he's the best big man, big boxer I've seen with my own two eyes ever. And he doesn't have big power, which is really weird for a guy his size. You can always look at his chin. I mean, Steve Cunningham, a cruiserweight, dropped him. So I'm not saying, you know, put all your money in Fury because Wilder, we've seen guys outclass Wilder and then end up looking at the lights. But that's what makes this fight so potentially good, not just the trash talking. The X's and O's are going to be interesting. You've seen Fury shed a lot of pounds in a quick amount of time. He didn't look amazing against Pianetta, but you know what he did look, King Mo? He looked to me like he's close enough to having a great training camp and getting back to being that guy again. I don't think he's going to be as good, and I know there was a little sketchiness there with the way the drug tests played out, and there's a lot of people who believe that Fury versus Klitschko wasn't clean. I don't know what's going to happen in terms of his piss test, but I know this. He showed me against Pianetta. He's not drastically far away from being that guy again. I think he can come back and and and, and be that kryptonite. Hand speed-wise, I thought his hands looked fast and crisp. Yeah, I'm with you. The ultimate thing comes down to this, though. Can he hurt Wilder? And I think the answer ultimately to that is no. Ultimately, that's untrue. Well, I don't think he has to, to hurt Wilder. All he has to do is make Wilder miss, touch him enough, and get him to the 7th, 8th round. And just if he can build a lead big enough, he can just cruise. That's because Deont- Deontay Wilder has shown that he can be outworked. That would be fun to watch Fury with a lead try to dance around and avoid the big bomb. I mean, that's look, that's going to be a fun fight. That's going to be something special. They're aiming for November 17th in Vegas. We should expect an announcement any day. Fired the heck up, whether you're a boxing fan or not. That's a crossover fight to regain your interest. Look, this is all anyone's ever wanted. I know we've had a couple big heavyweight fights in the past year. It's been, you know, we're in a renaissance period. Certainly, Wilder Ortiz was fun. Joshua Klitschko was fun. Man, we get this and the winner gets Anthony Joshua. We're, we're back, King Mo. What's interesting though, King Mo, as we close here, is Vladimir Klitschko just broke up with his longtime girlfriend, baby mama, Hayden Panettiere. Maybe this leads Vlad back into this picture, knowing the money and the fight opportunities. I'm here for a Klitschko Fury rematch. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm just happy to see heavyweight boxes back. Because the big fights will happen. I think all of them will happen big time next year. The big fights will happen all next year. There it is. There it is. King Mo, we wrapped it up. An MMA show in the books. Little down period. It's gonna, it's gonna amp up in a big way soon. We got September 8th coming up in Dallas. We got a lot of big cards. Stay healthy. Stay active in the gym. We can't wait to hear when you're coming back next. You have a message for your fans, for the people as we exit this show. Hey, the message like always. Actually, come be, we'll be back soon, but we'll be back with better news, hopefully, because this was a downtime. But until then, we out.